Welcome to Academic Medicine Leadership Lessons, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we speak with leaders in academic medicine about a variety of leadership topics. And now, your host, Dr. Saria carter Sicosia. Today, we have Dr. Kristen Goodell. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited about our topic, but how do we make plans for careers in our futures? So Dr. Goodell is certainly an expert in this space. She currently serves as Associate Dean for Admissions and Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at Boston University School of Medicine, and she is an Academy Medical Educator at BUSM, teaching clinical skills to all four years of medical students. She's currently a member of the AAMC MCAT Validation Committee and Treasurer of the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. Dr. Goodell is truly an expert in the journey of career development. So with that being said, Dr. Goodell, I am very curious of how do you get started and what are realistic expectations for our listeners for a plan early career, mid-career, and when they're ready for a change? Right. Well, um, first of all, thank you so much for having me be part of this podcast. I'm really delighted to um, discuss this topic. Um, in terms of how you get started, I uh, think it's always wise to kind of have your eyes on the future, but I also think it is equally wise to have in mind um, a, a good amount of flexibility. So in other words, um, I think it makes sense to have some broad goals, but I think it also makes sense to not be too uh, to not think that you need to be adherent to a, a highly specific plan. And that's mostly just because, you know, anything that you're going to do in medicine, it's a, it's a really long career. Even getting to be a physician takes so many years. It takes, you know, four years of college, four years of medical school, usually some work in between there, then your residency. And so the thing is that so many different things are going to happen during that time that the idea that you could pinpoint a highly specific goal and definitely get to it on a specific schedule just seems very unlikely to me, like, because things, life is just going to happen and things are going to come up. So I I advocate um, always sort of thinking ahead about what might I like to do, what seems exciting to me, what kinds of things might be next, but then being flexible about the specific steps that you take to get there and then the specific timing that um, you would, you know, undertake those steps. So those are great practical suggestions. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. And just, it, it can be intimidating and I think overwhelming for folks who are just getting out of residency, but have these ideas of how they want to serve in leadership, what they want to do once they become a, a physician, a practicing physician in their space. So Maybe could you give an example of what you would consider? What are some broad picture goals based on your suggestion? And then maybe some specifics or concrete ideas of what do you want to get out of the next five or 10 years? Or how do you separate that out? Right, sure. So, you know, one kind of funny thing is um, I have this memory of sitting next to um, a guy on a plane, we were both going to an STFM meeting and um, the person I was sitting next to turned out to be one of my main mentors. Um, And he was later my fellowship advisor, but at the time he was a faculty member and I was a resident. And we were just having a conversation, but I remember him asking me what I thought I might be interested in doing. And I said, I said, you know, I kind of want to be the dean of something. 
Um, and I hardly even knew what that meant. You know, I was, I was still in residency, but what I knew is that I had started being involved in medical school teaching and I really liked that. And I liked the whole world of that. And I, and I was looking ahead to, you know, the people at that time, they seemed way off in the future and kind of way above, you know, above me in the hierarchy of things. But I just remember looking and thinking that seems like the kind of job I would like and that I would find really satisfying. So, but as you can tell, that was kind of a, a vague goal. And even as I was saying it to myself, I, I realized it was a little ridiculous. Like, who wants to be the dean of something without defining what it is? But, um, but it was just kind of a general idea. So, so okay, I said that a long time ago when I was a resident. But then um, what I really did then was, was think much more um, specifically about what my options were at any given time. And so what I mean by that is, when different opportunities presented themselves, I chose the ones that that kind of pointed in that direction. But also, and this is like the key, the, this is the most key thing. This is kind of how you know you're on track. I chose to do the thing that just sounded the most interesting to me. So, for example, um, a, a residency colleague of mine uh, had told me, shared this experience with me about how he had been on the board of the American Academy of Family Physicians, which I didn't even know was a thing that you could do. I didn't, I knew they had boards, but I didn't understand how a resident could be one of those people because I thought they were all national leaders at a high level. And he said, oh no, there's a resident representative on most of these boards and you just, here's how you do it. There's a, you know, an election and you go to this meeting in Kansas City and you run for it. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds that sounds amazing. I would love to have that opportunity. That sounds so exciting. And I, I can't believe you could be in that room. But then I also thought, huh, so, you know, the place for me really probably wouldn't be the American Academy. It would probably be STFM because that's the one that focuses on education. And I've been doing more education recently. And also I love that. So, so, okay, that's the position I'll run for. So, um, and then I did. And so, you know, it wasn't like when I started out and saying, I think I want to be the dean of something, I was like, okay, so step one, run for a national position so that I can be on the board of it. Like that had, it did not enter into my thinking at all. It was just that when this interesting idea about an opportunity presented itself, I thought, well, that sounds fun. And I'll choose the variation of it that, that seems to point me in the right direction of where I want to go. What an inspiring story. Thank you. I, I appreciate how, um, how humble you are in your path and journey that you've taken so far. But wow, those are some great steps to take to get there. I love how you broke it down into where do I start today and leaning on some mentors and those who can help guide you down those paths. It really does take step by step. Sometimes when we focus on the end game, we can lose sight of enjoying the time that we take to get there and those experiences that actually prepare us very well to be professionals and careers and leadership and family medicine. Thank you. And I actually, there's one other thing I would love to throw in there because it's, it's from that same time period. So um, a lot of times when I talk to people, they ask about you know, well, work-life balance and how do you, how do you put all these different things into your life that you want to have? You know, I also am married and I have two teenagers and, you know, I have a book club and (laughs) these other things. So, um, I think another key ingredient in getting to where you want to go is to be comfortable making decisions again, based on the different things that are happening in your life. So, Again, this is sort of early on in my career. If you fast forward a couple of years from the story I told before, when I was, um, I, I was now sort of at the end of residency. And again, um, 
I was working on a project and one of my mentors, different mentors said to me, Kristen, this thing, this could be your thing. This project, you could take this, you could turn this project into a, a, a national you know, a CME opportunity. You could publish about it. This could help you get promoted. This could really be a, a big opportunity for you. And I could see with absolute clarity that he was correct. Like, I totally got it. I agreed that he was right. I could imagine the steps that would be necessary to make that happen. But the thing was, I had a three-year-old and I was busy gestating another one. And I just thought, yeah, okay, but I got to make dinner. <laughs> So, so I was not afraid to say, I see it. I do. I, yes, this would help me, but it's just, I could just can't do it right now. I'm sorry. I have other things. I have, to, I have other priorities. Um, and just trusted that like, there are lots of opportunities that come by in a life and you grab the ones that you are excited about when it's a reasonable time to do so. But I think that for people that are making, like you should, I want people to know, like you don't have to grab everything that comes by. There are lots of opportunities and you can always make your own. And so that I think has also been another um, key to what I, why I'm so happy with my current career. So what a true story. And I so appreciate your practical nature of addressing these issues because life happens. Life happens to all of us, whether it's children or spouses, or perhaps a, a loss in your family that turns your career or upside down or, or just puts a complete stop on what you're doing. Um, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. So being an ambitious person and clearly having the CV that you have and your leadership opportunities, I can imagine you've had challenges with when you say yes and when you say no, and when the answer is not no, just not right now. So how do you make that decision? How do you decide when now is a good time or when this is just something that isn't for you or, or not an area that you would like to focus your energy? Yeah. So um, I am very lucky in that I am not uh, somebody who feels particularly, um, I don't spend a lot of time on guilt uh, and I don't feel particularly dutiful about doing things that other people want me to do. And so um, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying no. And I sometimes, um, you know, I sometimes develop kind of a feminist perspective about this and say, like, uh, do I think a male colleague in a leadership role would feel like, oh, gosh, I really have to do this because I just want to make sure that I stay in everyone's good grade? No, I don't think they would do that. So why should I do that? So I just feel kind of, I think I just feel comfortable with that. The way I um, sometimes have talked about this with, um, medical school applicants when they ask me about work-life balance is saying that when it comes to my career and the components of my career and in fact my life, I feel strongly I am the only one that gets a vote. So I'm perfectly willing to hear other people's opinions and I really take them uh, truly. I believe people are giving me suggestions, advice, and making requests usually with my best interests at heart because like, oh, they think I might have something valuable to contribute or, oh, they think this might be good for me. But they just don't get a vote. Like, I'm interested in their thoughts, but I'm the only one with a vote. Every now and then, I think my husband should get a vote about these things. But then I think, you know, as soon as that guy starts breastfeeding, he gets a vote. Otherwise, I'm the only one with the votes. <laughs> so, yeah, I just feel comfortable saying those things. <laughs> 
And I also don't feel like much of an explanation is needed. I'm pretty comfortable just saying, oh, it's not the right thing right now. Well, amen, sister. I do believe those are empowering words and something that we can all remember. There's one vote and that vote is you on your future. So we talked about how do you say yes and when do you say no or do you say not now? What happens when someone tells you no and you feel that perhaps this is a pivotal point in your career or something you really thought you wanted or was the next step on your path? How do you readjust, reassess, and reset your path forward? Oh, that's a good question. The only thing I can think about that was sort of a hard no that I tried to do was at one point I was switching fields between surgery and family medicine and thought that I might get an MPH. Um, And so I applied but did not get into the MPH program. Um, But You know, at that point, there actually, this was, that was one time when there were so many things going on with me. I had decided to switch specialties. I was like pregnant with my first child. And there were so many other things going on that I was disappointed, but I also wasn't all that surprised because I hadn't been particularly attentive to the application process. And I thought, I basically thought, okay, fine, I'll do something else. That wasn't, that was something that I thought I would enjoy, but it wasn't really, um, I didn't have my heart set on it. Um, a a more, a possibly more relevant example is that there are a couple of times in my career when I've gotten some pretty, um, direct feedback that was very, that was hard to hear and, you know, suggested to me that my advancement in a certain place was going to be kind of limited. And, um, and I think in those instances, um, it, it was, you know, it was a, it was a huge, growth opportunity. And actually the second time, there's two sort of specific times I'm thinking of when I sort of had, you know, was called in by my boss and sat down and they said, okay, this is going to be a hard conversation. And then, and then gave me all this feedback. And the second time I distinctly remember sitting there thinking to myself, Kristen, this is a growth opportunity. There's going to be a lot of good stuff you can use here. Try and just hear this information and use it to get better. (laughs) You know, like trying to talk myself Mm-hmm. talk myself down and talk myself into being in a rational state of mind so that I really could get ever whatever was useful out of that interaction. Um, and then, you know, after the, both of those times, I remember going home and feeling really rattled and, and, you know, upset and sad that I hadn't been doing as good of a job as people wanted me to, to do. Um, and then I thought like, okay, well, what would be the best possible way to respond to this situation? Okay, well, the best possible way would be to actually try and hear what they said and get better. So um, in both of those instances, actually, particularly the second time um, that I had this big feedback meeting, I really did. I really made a very specific effort to try and hear the key pieces of feedback that I'd gotten and say, okay, how, how can I how can I get better? And I actually, even the second time, um, sought the advice of an executive coach. Um, much of what I'd heard, what, much of the feedback I'd gotten was similar. Um, from the, you know, so first feedback to second feedback, these were in different places, different jobs. And so I thought, okay, you know, obviously this is a thing that I should work on. And, and, you know, incidentally, I even remember telling my, some, some old friends who've known me for a long time about the feedback I'd received and, um, which honestly, which had to do with how I, um, respond to hierarchy and, you know, people that are in charge of me. And I remember telling them about this feedback and they said, no, really? <laughs> like, by the way, you've been this way since high school. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I really thought, okay, okay, the best thing to do is to respond to the feedback. So I, 
I, I got an executive coach um, to help me kind of process those things um, and really try to get better. But I also sort of assessed the situation and thought, okay, this is one of the times where I thought, okay, I don't think I'm going to end up um, making a lot of headway here. I think I may have uh, not exactly burned bridges, but I think it's, it might be hard for me to advance in the way I want to. So maybe it's time to um, keep my eyes open and for other opportunities. And, um, and so that's what I did. And, you know, within a, uh, within a foreseeable future, but not immediately. I mean, I kind of stayed with my job and kept doing my job and tried to get better at it, but also had this idea of like, okay, well, when something good comes up, then I'll look for the next step. Wow. What a powerful story. And I think what I hear from so many ambitious leaders oftentimes is the conversation about they won't listen to me. I have all these great ideas and, and what's next. And if they would only listen to me. And so to be able to take that feedback for what they're trying to offer you and to provide that wisdom to then set your path. Sometimes you feel like it's taking you sideways when actually it sounds like they were trying to upright you so that you could continue forward in a progressive way to really get to that next step. And and sometimes we're self-limited and without seeing or hearing from other folks, that feedback is critical. I know we all kind of take pause when someone says to us, okay, I'm about to, I'm about to give you some really direct feedback. So you know to brace yourself. And I think there was a lesson learned in that conversation that you just shared too, is to prepare yourself. And when someone is saying something like that to you, to stop and say, okay, this is going to be really helpful. I'm going to learn a whole lot from this. What do I get from this to be better going forward? I think that was an important suggestion that you offered. I think also what I heard is getting or seeking an executive coach can serve to be extremely valuable and looking outside And then also, you talked about circling back with your peers or those that you trust to support you, but to also be honest, where you have opportunities to grow and learn as we all have in this process. So I think you've given some incredible pearls for folks going forward on their own personal journey that they could certainly apply to. So that being said, being challenged or changing your direction and your path What do you do if, let's say, you're limited by locations? You mentioned having children yourself, perhaps you're married, and your partner um, is really rooted in their career and where they're listed. What do you do different? How do you branch horizontally or perhaps think outside the box completely as you're looking for a career change when, again, you thought maybe it was taking you sideways, but maybe just is turning your path right or left? Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I think, um, I, I think you can think about like, uh, it's interesting. I'm thinking about you, you, the concentric circles. So you can try to stay within your current place. Um, but look for opportunities to do more of the things that you really like, um, and things where you've been successful. Um, I, I think that's an opportunity that people sometimes overlook. So, you know, if you, um, whatever, if you have been working on one project and it hasn't gone as well, but you, you know, you still know that you've got a lot of skills that are useful, like, okay, so, you know, you can do like a little bit of a retreat and think, all right, well, let me just try and work on those and do those things that I, that I enjoy and that I've been successful at. And let's see if then I can make some headway in that arena. So, you know, maybe you, um, were, 
I don't know, doing the administrative oversight. I'm thinking of a colleague that I know. So if you were doing um, some administrative oversight and that seemed to, to not go as well as you would have liked, um, you know, you're doing an administrative oversight of a course, for example, and didn't go as well as you liked. And so, okay, then, then that's not going to be possible for you to do in the future. But perhaps like what got you on that path in the beginning is that you love teaching. Okay, so then do more teaching, find more ways to do more teaching, and then see if there's a different, and, and while you sort of get your feet back under you, you know, because doing more of things that you like and are good at is probably going to make you feel good and help build up your confidence again. And then, you know, you can potentially start to branch out a little bit. And, you know, maybe that's, okay, then you're in a different department. So instead of your, you know, discipline department, you find yourself um, because people think of you more and more for your teaching, and then you can work within, for example, the Department of Medical Education at your school. So I think there's, there are ways to stay in the same place, but refocus a little bit. I can think of a number of colleagues who have moved from, you know, a job as director of quality to a job as director of a, you know, an educational program or residency program, or people that have moved to, you know, from um, an administrative lab role to a department chair role. So I, I think that there are different things you can do within your institution. The other thing that I think is um, smart, well, one thing that I've done is when I started thinking, um, okay, maybe it's time for me to keep my eyes open and look for a new opportunity. I actually really had a very kind of a wide open, broad sense of what that might be. So um, I was you know, willing to, uh, I applied for a couple of different positions right around the same time um, that were in different uh, places, but different institutions, but close enough for me that, that I didn't have to uproot anybody. Um, and then I, I also just thought broadly, I thought about like, well, why do I, maybe instead of being in an academic institution, I could do similar work, but for a national organization. And maybe the national organization doesn't actually care where I live because I could do a lot of that work from a home office or telecommute or something. So I think, I really think there are ways to, um, particularly as a physician, there are really ways to use your skills and to work in different environments that you even can do with the constraints of needing to stay in the same geographic location. Well, that's so helpful and optimistic. And what I hear you saying is whatever you do, don't give up. Um, And Listening to your personal story and what's been helpful for you, a couple of things stand out. For one is being connected with yourself and having that soul-searching time, or you even use the word retreat. I think that's very helpful to be focused and intentional about taking a pause, thinking outside your typical box or the traditional spaces that you would normally look, and feeding your soul, so to speak. When you mention do things that you love, and it's amazing what doors and windows open when we do that. And another theme that I heard constantly through our conversation today was on relying on your mentors and your peers to give you that honest feedback because they know you best and it's a safe space to ask those questions. And at the end of the day, bottom line is you've got to put yourself out there. So again, thank you so much for sharing your story, because I think it's going to be so helpful for our listeners out there and on their own personal paths. You gave us several suggestions and tips that I think will be helpful for them. Um, Do you have any other suggestions or ideas that have come to mind of what a career path looks like or how to find that personal journey? Um, 
I think I sort of hit on the main points, but I, I agree with and would underline what you said about mentors and peers. And, and further, I would um, remind people that you can combine those into peer mentors. Um, so there have been a number of instances I've got, you know, there's a, I have a group of three um, colleagues and we meet together regularly. And really, even though we're friends also, we really, you know, just talk about work and we have been, I think, very helpful to each other. I know they've been helpful to me during particularly those periods where I felt kind of a little bit in a tailspin, like, oh, no, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. I'm not sure that I'm cut out for this. And then, you know, so ha- so helpful to have them reflect back and say, say, well, um, like, but actually, remember, you, you really like these parts of it. Like, you've always spoken positively about these parts of it. But by the same token, one of my colleagues in that group um, decided at one point to stop doing patient care. And um, she was really torn up about it. It was a huge change for her. She never in a million, you know, she always, always, always thought she was going to be a doctor. And furthermore, she was going to be a family doctor who helped the people that needed it the most. And so it was a very difficult decision, except I think, you know, we were able to reflect back to her um, when she finally came to this conclusion and we were able to say, well, yes, we've been talking to you for seven years now and you only ever speak with anxiety and, you know, anxiety and sort of stress when you talk about patient care. You know, you've never told us a story which made you feel happy and joyful and glad you were doing it. You've only ever told us about the things that are really hard. So it seems like maybe that's something to let go of. You know, maybe it's not quite the right thing. And I, and I know that I, I think that was very validating for her and I, and I think she found it helpful. So I, I think that having some peer mentors um, can be really, really helpful. Yes, I love the idea of identifying peer mentors in so many ways they can reflect back to us what they see and even our own joy that perhaps we're overlooking or perhaps some angst in part of our, our journey and, and we think is a fit for us, but may not be so. Dr. Goodell, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an incredible opportunity to talk with one of our mentors and peers within our Society of Teachers of Family Medicine work and our circle of support. So again, thank you for your story, and we are glad you could join us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been um, a great conversation and a, and a pleasure and, and really kind of an honor to be asked. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Academic Leadership Lessons. This podcast is produced by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. Visit us at stfm.org and follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. This podcast is copyright Society of Teachers of Family Medicine 2020.